Hello and welcome to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Don Hibbert. And I'm Courtney Brons. And each week we bring you conservation topics and events from around the Endless Mountains. So it's late November and if you go outside right now, you're not seeing a lot of color. It's a bit on the chilly side and I would imagine at this point listeners might fall into one of two groups. Those that are thinking about deer rifle season or those that are thinking about the upcoming holiday season. But regardless of whether you're going outside to hunt or you're going outside to hang up Christmas decorations, the call of the corvids might get your attention. Now you're probably wondering, what is a corvid? Well, here's a list of the most familiar birds in the corvid family. So we have nutcrackers, jackdaws, the more familiar ravens and crows and jays, magpies, ground jays, and tree pies. Some names that you might recognize and some that you might not be as familiar with. Members of the corvid genus can be found on every continent except Antarctica and South America. To date, scientists have found 40 species in the genus. In the United States, when people talk about crows and ravens, they're commonly referring to the American crow and the common raven. The main difference between crows and ravens is their size. Ravens are much larger than crows, about the size of a red-tailed hawk. Ravens have a more wedge-shaped tail, and you can see through their wing feathers when they are flying. So what makes a corvid a corvid? Basically it's their vocal call. When you step outside and listen to the birds in your backyard, the loudest ones are most likely corvids. Here, take a listen. Crows are actually quite social birds. They spend most of their year living in pairs or in small family groups. During the winter months, they congregate with hundreds of other crows to sleep together at night. This congregation is called a roost. When a crow dies, its neighbors throw a funeral. The live crows almost never touch the dead ones. This rules out scavenging the dead crows as a motive. So why do they do it? Some studies suggest that this mass gathering is part of a survival method. The crows examine the dead crow to learn about threats in that area, and then they are more hesitant to revisit that area. So, did you find anything out about crows having an accent? Yeah, so I thought this was really interesting. Crows have a regional dialect, so apart from the famous cawing noise they make, crows make a number of other sounds and each sound gives a different message. For example, cawing can be used as a territorial warning or a way to signal location to other crows. But two different populations of crows can have different sounds, just like human dialects can vary from valley to valley. So if a crow switches populations for whatever reason, they'll actually try to mimic the dialect of the new group that they're in. I remember a while back watching a PBS documentary and it was talking about crow's facial recognition. So you had found this study. Let's talk about it for a minute. So in 2011, a team from the University of Washington published a study about the remarkable brain power of crows. And the goal of the research was to determine how well the birds could remember human faces. So researchers went to the store and bought two masks, one that resembled a caveman and the other one was a Dick Cheney mask. 
So they used the caveman mask to threaten the birds, and the chenny mask was used as a control. So at five sites, a scientist wore the caveman mask while catching and banding wild crows. So the crows loudly scolded the scientists, and other crows in the area began swooping. So over a period of several years, both masks were worn regularly by team members on strolls through the five areas. Without fail, the caveman mask was greeted by angry scolds and dive bomb attacks from many crows, including ones that had never been caught or banded, and the birds largely ignored the Dick Cheney mask. So I guess the moral of the story is to be nice to crows, because they won't forget you, and neither will their friends. It's good to remember. Uh, you might also think of crows, and then of course of scarecrows. We're all familiar with the tactics that keep the crows away. Aluminum pie pans and scarecrows were once a staple of gardens to keep food in the garden and away from crows' mouths. Scarecrows actually originated in Egypt and Greece over 2,500 years ago. And while not as effective as they once seemed to be, they still find our way into Americana culture. So what about other corvids? Yeah, so, so far we've talked about crows. But another corvid in our neighborhood is the blue jay. And while our listeners might likely already know that jays like to pick on other birds, several studies have shown that blue jays might pick on oaks more. In fact, a 1981 study showed that blue jays transported and stored 133,000 acorns from a stand of pin oak trees in Blacksburg, Virginia. This represented 54% of the total mass crop. A further 20% of the mass crop was actually eaten by the jays at the collecting site. A large proportion of the nuts remaining beneath the collecting trees were parasitized by a larvae, thus most likely reducing overall population of neighborhood oaks. So just how smart are crows? Corvids in general are excellent problem solvers. In one study, a crow was given a task to complete that involved eight different order-specific tasks. The crow completed the task, which was the first documented occurrence of a bird completing anything like it. They'll also drop nuts with hard shells on busy roads and wait for cars to run them over and crack them before swooping back down to eat the nut. They've even been seen using stones to raise water levels inside containers to reach the water. Pretty amazing birds, if you ask me. So we hope as you string the lights around the house or walk out to your favorite deer stand and happen to hear a Corvid's call, you can appreciate their intelligence a bit more. Uh, Today we have one event to mention. A member of the Southern Tier Beekeepers Association has arranged for a local viewing of Pollinator's movie at the Regal in Binghamton. But they need at least 44 people to attend and purchase tickets ahead of time. It's scheduled for December 11th at 6.30 p.m. That's December 11th at 6.30 p.m. The movie is a cinematic journey around the United States following migratory beekeepers and their truckloads of honeybees as they pollinate the flowers that become the fruits, nuts, and vegetables we all eat. They talk to the farmers, scientists, chefs, economists, academics along the way to give a broad perspective about the threats to the honeybees and what it means to our food security. I will place the link on our website to secure tickets. If you have any questions related to today's show, you can contact the Conservation District by calling 570-782-2105 
If you missed a portion of today's show, you can go to our website, www.suscondistrict.org, and find our Conservation Corner page with past episodes, links to information about past episodes, and a contact form where you can reach out and you can ask questions or make comments about the show. You can even suggest ideas for future shows. You've been listening to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Courtney Bronze. And I'm Don Hibbard saying, enjoy the outdoors. <laughs>